You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, guys, uh, Sam commenced a new series last week entitled Correlate. And with the message I have tonight, we should have you home. Uh, you should be there for half time anyway. Uh, I think. So you get the second half, no worries. <laughs> Joking. Uh, no, uh, hopefully we'll all be out a little bit earlier tonight, a little earlier minute, maybe. Um, it's it's going to be a great series because it deals with relationships, which, as many of you know, for me, in the Christian faith, it's all about relationships. When, when I say all about relationships, you can have your theology right, you can have your doctrine right, you can have services that are the most, you know, t- the tightest and most uh, professional services in the world, but if at the relational level, if things are coming unstuck, if there's division in the church, if there are factions in the church, if there's a critical spirit in the church, then all of the other things don't mean anything to the person you're trying to reach for Jesus Christ. So this series is about relationships, and we've chosen a reading which is one of the um, strongest readings you'll find in the New Testament about relationships. Here's Paul. It's Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read from verses 9 to 16. So here it is from the, from the New International Version. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly, or we could add in sisterly, love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is mainly directed to people within the church, within the body of Christ, but it's meant to spill over into the lives of the people we're trying to reach. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I picked this up in the prayer. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. We're going to unpack a little bit of that reading tonight. Now, I've stated before from this platform that uh, among my many um, indulgences is a love of TV ads. If they're good, if they're good. I've got a background in advertising and marketing, and if an ad really hits the spot, I love it. Turn the volume up and... Uh, I'll, often, <laughs> I'll actually put it on a little file I've got on my computer called Funny Videos. How corny is that? Uh, and this one has certainly been put on. It's an ad that's currently running on television. If you've seen it before, I know you're going to love it and you're going to want me to play it over and over again. If you haven't seen it, you're in for a treat. It's about relationships. It's about relationships in which there is never any discomfort. Have a look at this. Lisa. Hi. It's been ages. Want a lift? Love one. Thanks. Oh, hey, nice car. Yeah, plenty of room. Looks like you'll be needing a bigger car soon. Huh? Well, one of you. Oh, I'm not pregnant. Oh. I just like cake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. She could afford me. The all new Serato from Kia. <laughs> That's the part I really like. You could afford me. <laughs> well, you know, there'd be a lot of high fiving. In the in the in the in the the room that, that can see that ad because uh, that ad agency uh, that's really hitting the spot and there's several in the series uh, which we won't go into now but they're all equally as funny but that that is my favourite so look guys here's the question when it comes to 
relationships, when it comes to friendships, who are the people with whom you are totally comfortable? Who are the people with whom you are totally relaxed? Well, you could make a, a slip like that and it wouldn't mean the end of the friendship. And my guess is there wouldn't be too many because that sort of slip, by the way, generally would mean the end of a friendship. But yeah, like, who are the people with whom you can be totally comfortable? I would say that the, the key to comfort, to comfort within a relationship is authenticity, right? You know, when, when you can be totally totally yourself, uh, you can be real, no pretense, no artificiality. Now that takes resolve to achieve that level of bonding. And, and for some of you, you only have it with, with a, a very few people. I, I would have it in its purest form with my wife, of course, and many of you who are married would probably say the same thing. Uh, my wife of 40 years, well, we can sort of sit and not say anything for ages and there's still a connection. Uh, we can drive for a long time without saying anything and there's still something happening between. You don't have to keep talking, uh, unlike when you're sort of uh, you know, going with somebody in the early days before you know, you're talking all the time, ringing up all the time, texting all the time. Well, you, know, you, don't, you get to a stage where you, you, you still enjoy doing that, but that's not important, that's not essential to maintain the bond. There's a total sense of comfort and relaxation. Now, Paul is talking about this kind of relationship here in Romans 12. He's basically reinforcing the point that Sam made very strongly last Sunday. The vertical affects the horizontal. Uh, In other words, how we're travelling with God has a direct bearing on our capacity to effectively handle relationships. There's a direct correlation, hence the name of the series, correlation or correlate. A direct correlation between how we're travelling with God and how effectively we handle relationships. That's because the art of relationships is not as simple as some people make it out to be. There's a very delicate and fine art in building lifelong relationships, in building the kind of relationships that can ultimately lead somebody to cross over and discover the reality and the fullness of Jesus Christ for themselves. I mean, getting on well with people involves an ability to forgive. It involves understanding. It involves a willingness to extend grace, to be patient. In fact, I would say on this very point, real effectiveness in relationships means a full embrace of God's grace. A full embrace of God's grace. That is the key. Only as we receive what God has done for us in Jesus are we able to see others as God sees us. And that's critical in forming lifelong, potentially life-changing through Jesus' relationships. When we start to see people as God sees us, Jesus once told the story of uh, the guy who received a heap of grace. Remember this? It's in the, in the Gospels there where the guy has a huge debt. He owes a king a massive fortune. And the king just out of the blue calls him in and says, you know what? All forgiven. I forgive you everything. The guy's been forgiven a huge debt. What does he do? Rather than receive the grace that he's been given, rather than extend that grace to others, he goes out to a guy who owes him just a few dollars, grabs him by the throat, threatens all kinds of legal action and violence against him. And the man in the story, of course, is condemned outright by Jesus. Having received grace, he demonstrated a clear inability to extend that grace to others. Only the person who knows they have been forgiven 
who knows they've been forgiven, only that person can truly extend grace. I mean, God's grace shown to us in Jesus was not forthcoming. It was not forthcoming because we were deserving or worthy. We don't receive his grace because we're good, because we, we know that. It's quite the opposite. Tim Keller, uh, the minister of the, uh, the big Presbyterian church in New York, this quote is in the study this week, and you'll have a chance, to, those of you in connection groups, to really get your teeth into this. Look at this quote. This is a forerunner of what you're going to get in the study. He says this, We are not loved because we have made ourselves worthy of love, but because Jesus died for us when we were unattractive in order to make us attractive. Now, guys, that is grace. That's grace, pure and simple. They used to call grace unmerited favour. That's Jesus when he said, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. That's Jesus when he said, those who think they are well don't need a physician. Only those who know they're sick. Only those who know they've got problems. Only those who are humble enough to open their hearts and lives and receive what I can give. This love, this acceptance is motivated by grace an unconditional favour, unconditional love. One of my favourite uh, authors, and he's a kind of a comedian, an Anglican guy called Adrian Plass. Uh, any Adrian Plass fans here? Not count- oh, excellent. Well done. Good. Didn't- <laughs> Fantastic, Dan. Well, he's a funny guy, and, uh, but he's also a serious guy. He tells the story of an elder in his church. And uh, he said this elder was, um, he describes him as very stern, and elders can be like that. Well, not our elders, but uh, elders can be like that. I grew up with elders who were like that, very stern. And it's okay to be stern in the Lord's work. Anything that you rob yourself of if you're really stern is one of the main components of Christianity, which is joy. Um, and I had some very stern elders in my church in, in Perth. Uh, some of you who have been with me for a long time know this story where um, this church was a very highly organised church and one of the greatest privileges that could be afforded to you was to go on to what they used to call the plan. The plan. The plan was when you were chosen in the morning service to distribute communion and receive the offering. It was a big deal. It took six people across the church to perform this ministry and you'd actually go to training. And you had to actually step off. The, you'd be lining up the back. You have to step off the mark with your left foot, walk in unison to the front, move back. It was so rigid, so organised. You had to wear a suit and a tie. And the order was a white shirt. Oh, it was only guys, by the way. Sorry, girls. That wasn't. You were allowed to minister in a public way. I didn't endorse the policy, by the way. That was just the policy that was thrust on the church. Right? It was pretty, pretty tight. And so I rolled up, it was a great honour, and I was getting congratulated by all my friends. I was about 18, that was about the time you sort of started in this role, if you were good enough. Um, and uh, and uh, I was feeling very, very, very chuffed, very proud, you know, I had the suit and the tie. And, and uh, this particular elder came across to me and he said, Graham, uh, welcome aboard, it's good to have you serving in this way. Uh, Graham, you may not be aware of the fact that uh, our requirement is for a, uh, a white shirt. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I've got a white shirt. I had. I was, he said, it's got a little faint stripe in it. Had a little faint black stripe. And I, it, from a distance, it looks like, like pure white. So I was uh, cautioned because I had a faint stripe in my... So you guys don't... You, you got it made. There's nothing like that in church today. I mean, how would you cope with that? I mean, 
It was pretty scary. Well, back to, um, and I won't even tell you what happened when they found out we went dancing one night, a few of us. Um, that, was, that was really serious. Well, Adrian Plass, he tells of this elder who was very critical, very self-righteous. He was lacking in joy and he sort of had a way of making pronouncements about everybody, about their spiritual condition, where they were heading for eternity and so on. And one group of people he couldn't stand were the members of the youth group. It was a fledgling youth group and they were pretty wild and they had bare feet and they wore crazy clothes and he couldn't stand these lazy lieabouts and he had some words to say to them on occasions. And, and then this guy, true story, he, he then contracted a terminal illness and he found himself in hospital, pretty sick. In fact, uh, in the beginning point of his ultimate journey to passing over and wouldn't you know it he found himself next to one of the very kinds of people he couldn't stand a young guy long hair uh, all he did was complain day after day in hospital complain about the food complain about the nurses and, and, and this guy thought if only I had the strength to get out of this bed I would be able to put this guy right both verbally and if necessary physically you know, he was just that kind of guy very very up Tight. And then on one day, a, an old-style nursing sister came on duty. And uh, I'm not going to describe what I mean by an old-style nursing sister. I'll let you imagine that. <laughs> I don't want to offend any of the nurses we have here tonight. And uh, he thought, aha, she'll fix him up. She, will, she won't take any of this sort of rubbish. She will know exactly how to handle this guy. Well, right on cue, he started complaining. He started acting aggressively on this particular night. And uh, right on cue, this nursing sister came striding in and the guy thought, ah, this is good, this is good. She'll know exactly what to do, give him a jab with a needle or something, settle him down. <laughs> well, there was a little crack in the curtain. She pulled the curtains around and left a little crack in the curtains, just enough so he could actually see in. And what he was about to see was to change his life. This experienced nursing sister of many, many years just threw out the rule book did what was in her heart. She just took this young man in her arms and, like a mother, just gave him the biggest hug he'd probably ever received in a lot of years. And it caused him to just sob and sob and sob his heart out. Who knows what had been going on in his mind? Who knows why he'd been so uptight, so aggressive all those days, years maybe? She just hugged this boy and, you know, breaking all the conventions. And in that moment, with tears in his eyes, this elder from Adrian Plasser's church got a revelation. That's what God wanted to do for him. Didn't want his rantings and ravings and his criticisms and his judgments. He just wanted, he just wanted, he just wanted to let God embrace him with grace and with love and forgiveness and let him do all the judging. Let him do all the whatever needed to be done in sorting people out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that man got a revelation that, was enabled, that enabled him to have a, a high sense of peace and a new understanding of God's love and grace for him in the closing stages of his life. Powerful story. I remember it for, um, for many years back. Guys, in the weeks that, um, in the weeks that you uh, have in the study, uh, you're going to be looking at this whole thing of, of, of accepting non-judgmental love. I mean, that, that sort of love, it's agape love, it's Christ-like love, it's self-giving love. Let me read verses 14 to 16 again, and it really captures what self-giving Christ-like love is. Look at this. Verses 14 to 16 of uh, 
of Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Agape love. I came across the best definition for agape love many years ago. And it goes like this. I love you not because I like you. I love you not because I need you. I love you because you need me. You contrast that with a lot of the expressions of love that are around the place today. Uh, Many expressions of love are, I love you because I like you. I love you because I need you. I need what you can give to me. Agape love takes us into a whole new dimension of relationships. It's I love you because you need me. In the weeks in the study of the study that you're going to be looking at this, as I mentioned, you'll discover a number of things. This week, these are the headings from the from the study. I'm not going to unpack these in detail. Real love is truthful. Real love is patient. Real love is putting others first. Real love is feeling with action. It's one thing to feel empathy or to feel sympathy, but it's taking agape love takes it to the next level. You do something about the concern that's in your heart. How critical is it that we learn the art of relationships in the body of Christ? How critical is it we maintain a a sense of unity and oneness within the body? How critical is that? Guys, in my experience of all my years in ministry, I've found this is the factor more than any other that can influence people for Jesus Christ. Yes, great preaching is important and it, it plays its part. Yes, um, you know, uh, great leadership is important. It plays its part. Yes, inspiring music contributes to the overall package. Uh, yes, people love organisations to be run in a very thorough and very slick way. Some people appreciate that. But people experiencing genuine love, genuine acceptance, genuine Christ-like love, that's what makes the difference. Uh, the old saying, you know, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. That, and you think about when you came into the church. You may or may not remember the first sermon you ever heard. You may or may not remember what happened in the service or how many songs were sung. But I'll bet you remember the people who connected with you. I'll bet you remember the people who actually invited you in the first place. I bet you remember the person who at your work or in your family or in your, in your street, your, whoever it was who influenced you, made you think, wow, this Christianity must have something. It was at the point of relationships that you were starting to have your heart touched by God. I've seen the difference relationships make in ministry just so many times. But one of my favorite moments, um, and, and if you've been around a long while, you've, I've, I've shared this story before, I think many in the morning congregation. But it's a moment I'll never forget because it highlights that a lot of people have preconceived ideas about, the church handle, about how the church handles relationships. There are still people who feel that we are very judgmental, very critical, that you've got to be of a certain type of person to be accepted. And sadly, as I mentioned some months ago, the church has given that impression in its worst moments. And we have a lot of of, uh, work to, to do in terms of changing our image. This was a lady who came, I got, I was, this was in my first ministry and it was a very hot night, I know that. And uh, I was in Adelaide and I was just in a tank top and shorts, I had a body that could take that in those days and um, (laughs) hot steamy night and it was nine o'clock and I think as I recall, Bev and I were getting ready to go to bed and we get a knock at the door. I said, who could that be? It was about nine o'clock. Went out and here was a, a woman who turned out to be much younger than she looked with a much older man. And I remember her first question. She said, are you Graham Agnew? I said, 
yes. She said, do you do weddings? I said, yes. She said, well, we want to get married. And I said, well, it's like a bit late to be. To, she said, well, yeah, I mean, we want to talk about getting married. I said, okay, come on in, come on in. So they came into my study, which is off the side of the house. And we, we got talking. And there were some very interesting things about this. This lady started to pour out her heart. She had a very, very rough life. Uh, she'd been in many relationships. Um, a lot of men had treated her badly. She said, this guy, her name was Betty. She said, this guy, his name was Jim. Uh, Jim was an amazing guy. He was about 65. I guess she, was, she turned out to be about 40, bit of, a, bit of an age gap. She said, this guy is the only guy who's ever treated me like a lady. And Jim was, and with that Jim's face beamed. Jim was at the halfway point between teeth removal and teeth replacement. And so his, he really, his whole face lit up, you know what I mean? And uh, it was quite bizarre. But uh, that was Jim. And he was very proud of the comment that she had made about him. But in telling her story, she was using language, which some of which I'd heard before, some of which I hadn't. And she was so, and she's just absolutely telling the story with, you know, and this, you know, so on, so on, so on, so on. And got to a point where I said, you know what? Um, I'm interested in, in, in something. You know, look, why me? You know, she'd said a few things about the church and Christianity. But I said, well, why me? Why a minister? And for the first time in about 20 minutes, she was speechless. And her jaw dropped. And I'll tell you exactly, she said, I won't tell you exactly what she said, but I'll give you the short version. She said, oh my God, are you a minister? I said, uh, yes. I mean, I realised that the tank top and shorts probably hadn't sort of entirely, you know, painted the picture she was expecting. Thought she might have seen the diplomas on the wall, but she didn't. Um, she said, oh, my God, she said, we thought you were a celebrant. And I said, well, how was that? She said, look, some friends of ours went to one of your weddings. They said, Graham Agnew does a great service. He lives around there in Idlewood Street. Go see him. And I'm sure he'll fix you up. We thought you were a celebrant. And then I asked the question. I said, well... Does it make a difference? And then she said something I'll never forget. And it really spoke to me of the journey that she'd had with religion and with Christianity. She said, oh, but doesn't it make a difference to you? Given where I've been and what I've just told you. And I said, you know what? It doesn't make a difference. If you're prepared to stand with Jim and declare your love for each other before God and make the promises seriously... We've got a deal. We've got to, we've got to, I'll, I'll do your service. I'll be very pleased. She said, oh, God, that's great. And she told me where it was. It was backyarding in a place called Cowandilla, which is one of the suburbs of Adelaide. And that was a wedding which I've never forgotten. Um, <laughs> that was a really wild wedding. Man alive. How, how that didn't get raided, or I, I don't know, but that was crazy. <laughs> they said, what are you drinking, Reverend? And I said, uh, that, that Fanta looks good. And so I said... Fanta, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> so I had a Fanta that had been, a glass that had been used for some other concoction. I never quite worked out what it was. But um, there were little traces there. But you know, guys, look, how sad. Here's a, here's a woman who wouldn't have gone to a minister in a fit to get married. But you know, there's a little sequel to this story. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you that, you know, Betty started coming to church and became a Christian. I'd love to tell you that it didn't happen under my ministry. But something happened about three years later. I got a phone call. She said, Graham, it's Betty. You know, Betty, you married me. 
I said, oh, Betty, Betty, yeah. She said, you know, Calendula, you know, the big party. I said, yeah, oh, yeah, right, I remember that. <laughs> Great. Um, she said, I've got some bad news. She said, Jim's died. She said, we were having such a great time. But she said, I guess the age difference, you know, kind of caught up with us. And uh, he died of a big heart attack. She said, now, I'd like you to give him a good send-off. Would you do that? And I said, yeah, we'll do that. Now, again, I lost tra- track of Betty. and I, I, you know, I'd like to think that somebody else maybe sewed into her life. But I am grateful for the opportunity that I had on behalf of all Christians, really, who, who love this kind of thing, to just speak into her life that there is such a thing as God's grace. He's not so much interested in where you've been. He's more interested in where you are prepared to go. He's more interested in the extent to which you are prepared to accept his grace and his forgiveness. We had the opportunity, the privilege of sharing a little bit of that with Betty. Guys, can I remind you of verse 18? Look at this. And this is from the Good News Bible. Do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. Now, I know there are some shockers in the world. <laughs> you probably work with some of them. Um, I've worked with some of them. Well, not now, but um, in the past, <laughs> in, my, in my corporate days. Um, you know, and, and you've got family members. You know, but you know what? This is the way we connect with people. This is one of the unique ways that we can stand out. Because Christians of all people should be specialists. Specialists in building relationships based on grace and love and forgiveness and tolerance and acceptance and all the things that people in the world try to espouse to and do in part, but we've got the edge because we've got the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So take your relationships this week seriously and maybe start with that person who's bugging you the most and show a little bit of God's grace and a little bit of God's love and a bit of God's forgiveness and just see where it might take you. For those of you who are yet to embrace God's love, am I speaking to people tonight who... You don't really know what it means to feel God's love and forgiveness. And so you wonder why you handle relationships a little poorly. You wonder why you're so uptight, why you're so angry, why you find it so hard to forgive. Because you haven't been forgiven yet. You don't feel forgiven. You don't feel as though you've had the embrace of Almighty God. So you're struggling to give that embrace to other people. You've got to experience that embrace before you can embrace others. Would you like to do that tonight? We're going to have a ministry time in a moment. And there'll be people up the back praying and You'd be most welcome to come and say, you know what, I'd like to to do what you indicated. I'd like to receive Jesus Christ. Uh, I'd like to start on the journey of faith. Uh, I, I, I don't know where that, that journey might lead you. I've got no idea. But I could pass the microphone around tonight and there'd be one person after another who would say, this is the greatest decision you can make. This is the decision around which all other decisions revolve. It's the big one. And we're going to see six or seven people declare that decision next week in baptism has God been speaking to you tonight if he has don't put it off if you feel a stirring in your heart that's the Holy Spirit be thankful that God is speaking directly to you it's an awesome moment if you feel a tug at your heart about anything I've said tonight or anything you've seen in the song that's God's Holy Spirit talking with you it's a powerful moment don't resist it don't put it off do something about it tonight let's join in prayer shall we well Father God we thank and praise you For the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize, Lord, that's the beginning point of relationships at a deep level. Because as you embrace us, so we experience the forgiveness, the acceptance, which enables us then to in turn embrace the unattractive, the unlovely, 
people who otherwise might really get under our skin. It's possible in your strength to show Christ-like love to people. Uh, we won't do it 100% all the time, but we can move into a, a mode of living that enables us to do that more often than not. And that's when people start to notice. That's when they know there's a difference because that sort of Christ-like agape love tends to stand out. Lord, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be that kind of people. Empower us by your spirit tonight and give courage and faith to those who need to make a response to you tonight. Or maybe they need to come back to you. They've drifted off the, tra- off the pathway. They need to come back and reconnect with you. Uh, whatever our need is tonight, give us the faith and the courage to respond, knowing that you and your embrace are waiting for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, communion is ready tonight. And uh, this is the ultimate expression of grace because we don't take communion on the basis of our own worthiness because none of us here are worthy. But we take communion because of what he has done, what God has done through Jesus Christ. Somebody died for each one of us. Somebody paid the price of our sins. And we remember that act of grace and love in these emblems. The cup, the, the wafer reminds us of the spilt blood, the broken body of Jesus. These are the... These are the elements that put us in touch with the very heart of our faith, the very essence of what Christianity is all about. So it's an open communion. If you're on the pathway of discipleship, uh, no matter how much you might be struggling or stumbling, we invite you to come and reconnect with your Saviour tonight. It also marks the beginning of our ministry time. If God has spoken to you, you need to respond to that tonight. Come forward. We'll be honoured to pray with you.